remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Now the setup of this passage is that the Apostle Paul has already spent a number of months in the city of Corinth. This is 2 Corinthians. There's another book called 1 Corinthians. And if you've ever read that book, you'll know that the church at Corinth was a wild place. Paul is writing to a group that has apparently made some improvements, but there are brothers and sisters around the world that are in need. And that need has been made known, and the church at Corinth has said, you know what? We're going to make some faith pledges. We're going to give. You can count on us. Well, the offering is about to happen. Back in the day, they didn't give online. They would give by sending people to go collect the offerings. And the people to come collect, including Paul, are about to come and get the money. And he's been bragging to people around the world how much faith pledged was happening from the church at Corinth. And he's now writing them to let them know, hey, we're about to show up. When we get there, let's not have this be awkward. When we show up, let's be ready to give just like you guys said you would. And he's using that as an occasion to say, those who sow sparingly reap sparingly. And those who sow generously, they reap generously. He's, he's making this connection that to sow is to give and to give is to sow. And so now he says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will bound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor and their righteousness endures forever. He's quoting Psalm chapter 112. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Would anybody like that to happen in their life? Would anyone like God to supply and increase your store of seed? If someone's like, well, that sounds ungodly. It's in the Bible. Can we go ahead and not be like falsely religious? Can we go ahead and say that if God says it, we believe for that? Amen? But here's where it really comes down. And you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This is my big idea today. This is what I dare you to memorize today. I, I'm hoping you memorize this very verse today. And you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and that your generosity will, will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. When we're generous, God's people are blessed and God gets the glory and that is what I hope is going to happen in our hearts. I want to talk about this fluency of generosity, the invitation to a life of generosity. My dream for us as a church is that we would be a generous people. Let's talk about this generosity for a moment. Let's pray God help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Let's talk generosity. I got invited to go preach at another church a while back, and when I did, the pastor was like, uh, hey, we're at the end, after the service, turn it over to me, and we're going to take up an offering. And I was like, okay. And so they'd already done like the main offering, but I had finished preaching, and there was an altar call, and people responded, and there was prayer, and things like this. And, and then he got up, and he said, hey, folks, we need to bless the man of God. 
Now that's awkward because I'm standing up there on stage. You know, he's like, we need to bless the man of God, but we're going to do another offering now to bless the man of God. And I'm sort of feeling odd and awkward. I'm like, okay, whatever. So they're passing the plates and they, they take up this second offering of the day. And, and the pastor takes it. And if it wasn't already awkward to me, he, there was kind of like a communion table at the front. He takes all the money, pours it onto the table, and he counts it while the band or the music with the worship team was playing. He counts it. And as he gets toward the end of it, his head starts to shake. And he says, no, 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 it is not enough. And he takes the mic. He says, this is not enough. We need to bless the man of God. This is not enough. So he sends it out a second time. Sends it out. I'm, oh, and I'm cringing as they're singing, you know, the song again. I'm, I'm still, again, sitting up. This is like a church where they have the, the speakers are sitting up on stage and kind of a, it really looks like a throne, you know. So I'm sitting on the throne and wishing I was in another place, you know, and, and they send it out again, and he comes back, he counts it, and he, his head starts to shake again. I'm like, oh, no, no, don't, 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 don't. And sure enough, he says, it is still not enough. Does someone have more money? And then and there's like this awkward silence, and finally someone raises their hand, and they're like, I do, but could you make change? <laughs> I'm not lying to you. He says, yes, we can. How much change do you need? He said, $99. <laughs> Thankfully, that was the final offering of the day, by the way, of which I got none of it. So none, apparently, whoever the man of God was, it wasn't me. <laughs> I remember just thinking to myself, wow, that generosity is being poured out for someone. They had four different offerings on that day, and yet the generosity was suspect, to be sure. We live in an age where there is arguably as, as much stinginess as there's ever been. I'm not even first talking, I'm not just talking and even primarily talking about money. All you have to do is jump on social media and you will see that when people give their assessment of other people, there is no place more stingy than Twitter right now. Like if you jump on Twitter, you will see an absolute holding back of any generous measure as people give their opinions of other people. When you go on social media, you will often find the stingiest assessment of the, the handing out of any sort of credit or acknowledgement of someone. This is, it, we live in a suspicious age. We live in a cynical age. We live in an age that has, has definitely withheld goodness or any kind of generosity, whether it's emotional generosity, intellectual generosity. And of course, we see this in financial generosity as well, which is what Paul was talking about. My concern for us is that, that we would become a people that are more influenced by the kingdom that we are joining, the kingdom of Jesus, than the kingdoms that we came from, the kingdoms of this world. That we would not just be products of the culture that we live in, that if you're American or Puerto Rican, if you're African American or Asian American, if you are a male or a female, or if you are whatever personality type you are, that we, we rejoice and we celebrate all of the backgrounds and cultures and personalities, yet I desire that we would be under the influence of the king whose name we have taken when we follow Jesus. That we would become those, that even this week I was looking up this word generous, it's, it's an adjective. It, when you look it up, it's of noble birth. It comes from French, généreux. It's, it's from generosis in Latin, of noble birth. Figuratively, it's magnanimous, generous. The interesting thing when you study the word generous, the usage of this word, 
began by being a word that was described of people that were born from nobility. They would be called generous. They came from genus. This is where we get the word like genes. When we say, oh, this guy's got good genes. The idea of someone that was generous, they were of noble birth, that they had been born to a family, that they were born to nobility, and because of their birth, nobility, they were expected to live up to what that nobility was. And so what happened was they would say, okay, wait, you're rich, you, you are privileged, you've got all these advantages, you should do something with that. What happened over time, though, was that the word generous began to not just be something that was attributed to you because you had no choice in the matter, you were born of nobility. People would say, oh, you're generous, you should be different than that. You were born generous, you should be different than that. Over time, generosity came not to be that word that was describing how you were naturally born, it became to be the description of what you've chosen to live. And so you'd have people that were known for being generous in how they treated other people and how they approached life. Paul says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Almost everybody is generous at times. Most people, my children are generous even with their siblings at Christmas time. I very much enjoy Christmas. One of the reasons why, it's for a little while, siblings are nice to each other. I like that, okay? Everybody's generous at times. The vision is that you would be generous on every occasion. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. God's dream is that this would become our our lifestyle, that this would become our nature, that this would become our habit. To be sure, when you belong to Jesus Christ, the moment that you put your faith in him, even today, some of you have said, you know what, Jesus, you can have my heart, you can have my life. The moment that your life starts to belong to Jesus, you are now born of nobility. I don't know what family you were born into. I got raised by a single parent. I got to tell you, when I was in high school, I remember seeing some of the houses of some of my friends. There were times I was embarrassed for my friends to come see my house and see where I lived. Maybe some of us have been at times ashamed of where we came from. Let me tell you this. From the moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are born from the King of glory himself. Amen. Your father is God. Your daddy is God. If you're like, I, I, feel, I sort of feel low class. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, you are high class for the rest of eternity. Do you understand who you are? There's a reason the enemy attacks you like he does. He knows who you are. We forget who we are. Let me remind you, saints of God, when you belong to God, you are born of the king. You've been born all over again. You've been adopted into a new family. You've received an inheritance. You've been blessed by God with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has lavished upon you all the good things of his kingdom. The problem is not that it's true. The problem is that we stop remembering what is true. God is calling us to, to something other than the stingy life that, that we live. And I, like, I want to be generous, and yet I, there's a part of me that, that thinks there's a lack, that thinks there's only so much to go. I mean, we have eight children, and so in our house, there's regularly um, a, a fear of scarcity of resources, that things run out. So I, I will confess to you, my, most of my kids are away on, on the retreat right now. The youth group has a retreat going on, so my house is kind of empty. There's only two kids that were there. Uh, so I'll, I'll share this because they are not here to hear this. But like some, like I, I'm a connoisseur of ice cream. I don't know if anybody likes 
good ice cream. So I like good ice cream. And I like all ice cream, but I especially like good ice cream. The problem is my children's taste buds, they can't appreciate good ice cream, which is why it's not worth wasting money on good ice cream for seven and eight, nine and 10 year olds. They don't know the difference. Like, oh, this is amazing. I know the difference between amazing ice cream, which is why it comes in small packages. It's very expensive. And which is why I hide it in the back of the freezer <laughs> under things where no one can find it. Because there's a part of me that wonders, even, even as we speak right now, like that's, there is some ice cream that's there right now. There's a, there's a part of me that, that fears that there will not be enough. And what God says is you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Because this, this fear that you have, that maybe, come, maybe you got raised by a single parent and there's this, this little wound in you of, oh, there's not going to be enough. When you belong to Jesus, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. In Christ Jesus. There is no kingdom problem of lack when you come to God. The kingdom of heaven is marked, in Spanish, I love the word, abundancia. En la presencia de Dios hay una abundancia. There's, 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 a plenty, there's a plenty, there's an abundance that comes in the kingdom of heaven. And God is calling us to do something else. So today, really, the message is simply, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You will be enriched in every way that's really this first movement I want to make. So that you can be generous on every occasion, not occasionally. That generosity becomes your nature. And then through us, he gets the glory. So let's kind of break this down. Number one, I, I, let me break this down. You will be enriched in every way. Point number one today. This is like so basic, it's so dumb, but I need us to believe this. God loves to bless his children. God loves to bless his children because God is generous. Now, I, go with me in this message right now because I am going to try to convince us to be generous. There's not another offering plate that's coming around at the end of the service today. My end game is not just trying to get some more money. I, even in my message right now, I, I have heard sermons that kind of go like this. Hey, yo, Americans, you do realize you're richer than anyone has ever been. Yo, Americans, you do realize you're blessed. Yo, even if you're on welfare, you do realize even on welfare, you are living better than kings and queens did throughout most of history. Yo, you do realize even lower class people living in this room right now, if you've got a bicycle to ride to work in, you're doing better than the majority of the world. Can we stop complaining? Can we start being generous? I've heard many sermons that basically go like this. Come on, gang, you're more blessed than you know that you are. Why can't you be generous? Don't you see it? Have a little guilt trip and get a little generous. The problem is that kind of message is kind of like being stopped by a cop. When the cop stops you and gives you a warning, that gets you to stop speeding for about three days, but you go back to your old patterns. Correct? There's only one thing that changes you, not guilt trips you, and it is when you gaze and behold the greatness of Jesus. Here's my message today. Look at him, look at God, think about God, look at Jesus, eyes on Jesus, eyes on God, eyes on the most generous one that there is. Do you understand that God himself is generous and God himself loves to bless his people? From the beginning, this is, the, this is where the problem started. God says, Genesis 2, Adam, Eve, you are free to eat from any 
tree. And this is what he said. You may freely eat from any tree in the garden. Now, there was one tree they couldn't eat from. But let's just get clear. Apple tree, orange tree, cherry tree, coconut tree, banana tree, peach tree, lime tree, lemon tree. Yes, 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 yes. Adam's like, this one? Yes, that one? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, hundreds of trees, thousands of options. One forbidden fruit, all the rest, God says, yes. And then he doesn't say, listen, eat only as much as you need. He said, you are free to eat. The nature of the deceiver, our serpent enemy, his first move was to bring into question the generosity of our God. Didn't God say, you can't eat everything? He's holding out on you. There is this primal wound that we have that has believed a lie that our God is something other than abundantly generous with us. That God says, I long to bless my children. Theologians and philosophers have argued over the, what's called the problem of pain. How do you explain the existence of a good God in a world of so much pain? G.K. Chesterton heard that for so many years. He said, you know, guys, I struggle with something else. He was a philosopher, and he's like, I, I struggle with not the problem of pain, I want to have an answer for the problem of pleasure. If all there is is survival of the fittest evolution, if all there is is a senseless, tasteless, feelingless clock of sorts that's gone on to creation to put things into motion, if that's all that there is is this impersonal whatever force is back there, how do you explain so much pleasure in the world? He called it the problem of pleasure. He's like, yeah, we know we got to reproduce, but why is reproducing so much fun? I mean, you could have just gotten an instinct that kind of puts you in heat for a minute to get in heat long enough to, to go reproduce. But why, why does God make food so pleasurable? Why are there so many colors and smells and tastes? Why is there so much pleasure? Why is it enjoyable to watch a little child? Yesterday, with most of our family gone, my youngest daughter was there, and, and she made up this list of invented little games. It was like the top, what was it, 10 mini games that we had? One of them was... <laughs> Uh, what's the smell? You know, so it's like everyone has to shut their eyes and you just go find a little something to, to, to smell, you know? So it was just, that's an interesting game, by the way. Just to play a game, you got to shut your eyes and find a smell. And it really begs the question because we, there was a lot of laughter going on yesterday afternoon with nothing but Anaya's 10 little mini games, which were a trip, okay? Why is it so pleasurable to watch a child be fully alive? It, it doesn't feel like this is just evolution. It doesn't feel like this is just, well, this is, this is what it takes. How do you explain beauty where you, you look at a sunset maybe over the trees in your backyard or you're driving down the street and one time I was driving down the street here and I just saw this perfect sunset going right down 39th Avenue and I was like, God, you are beautiful. Like, what... What is this beauty that you've, I mean, the capacity to, to enjoy the, a, a painting that someone creates or, or a song that someone writes? And I get it. I know we're in the, the age of artificial intelligence and, you know, you got all this chat GPT. You got this stuff like, hey, come up with a good song. But I'm saying, is, is there not something wonderful and glorious how God has made us to experience? First, 
Timothy chapter 6 says it like this in verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world, don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. Wait, wait, wait. God, why did you do, why did you do sunsets like you did? For our enjoyment. Church, I'm not trying to center everything on us. Let all the centering be on God. Let all the glory be to God. Let all the attention go to God. Let all, let, let he, may he be the object of our praise, the subject of our meditation. But do you understand that? What he has said is that I've given you all these things for your enjoyment. That means when you go by the nursery and you just, some of you love to get plants and put them on your back porch and you're like, oh, I, God's not looking. You're like, what are you doing wasting money at the, at the nursery buying plants? He created the plants, all the species. When, when you enjoy those plants, there is some way in which you are on that path of the glory of God. You will be enriched in every way with those plants so that you can be generous on every occasion and with our generosity through us to give thanks to God that when you look at that plant, you don't just say, wow, praise you plant. You say, blessed be the name of the Lord who has created the lily, who has created the rose, who has created the, the many flowers and plants that some of you do in your garden. That is a gift from God. Feel no guilt when you, when you drive over to Flagler Beach to go catch a wave and surf. God made the waves for you to enjoy. I mean, some of us, I feel like some Christians are like walking around like sourpusses, like, oh, I'm just gonna grin and bear it until I get to heaven. The kingdom of heaven is supposed to start now. Well, Mike, are, are, is this the prosperity gospel? I do believe that God prospers his people. I will tell you, he has promised he's gonna bless us. I gotta be honest with you, there's gonna be suffering, there's gonna be pain, there will be hardships, there will be persecution. Following Jesus does not give you a pass from any of that. What I can tell you is this, he's even said that suffering itself prepares you to better experience and enjoy his glory. There's nothing quite like when you've been sick for a while and you stop being sick and all of a sudden, oh, that was good. What was that? Bread and butter. You ever had that like, oh, this toast is incredible. Even suffering itself, even the discipline of the Lord is a gift. That when you're done being disciplined, that when you're done whatever the suffering was, even then when you come out on the other side, when your eyes are on him, there is an enjoyment that you never knew otherwise. Mike, what are you saying? I'm saying, church, enjoy your life. God gets glorified when we say, I love that plant, I love that car, I love this house God gave me, I love those waves, I like that beach that I get to go visit, I like that music that I'm listening to, you just saw a play, and you're like, well, I really enjoyed that, you get some good friendship time with some friends, and you're hanging out, you could say, wow, I'm enjoying, God is not stingy. He's not stingy. Well, I think he just wants us to worship him. He does want us to worship him. That's not the only thing you're, that you're going to do. That's not the only thing he has you. God's not like jealous of the time that you spent enjoying a meal with some friends and saying, man, you could have been singing some more worship songs to me just now. Enjoy your life. Enjoy lunch today. Enjoy your friends. Enjoy your family. Point number one, God loves to bless his children. Enjoy your life. Point number two, the more you realize the generosity of your father, the more you resemble the generosity of your the more you realize that your father is generous, the more you start to resemble that your father is generous. 
You always become what you behold. That's why my message right now is not so much, come on, church, you've been blessed. Stop being selfish. It's more, church, look at the one who made the stars and the skies and the beach and the flowers, who gave you the pleasures and smells and tastes and touch, who gave you all of these manifold blessings. Look to him. Do you not see that he gave you breath today? Do you not see that he calls your ears to enjoy the sound of a song, that he let your body feel a beat, that if you enjoy a beat. Have you not seen that this God is generous? And when you realize the generosity of your father, you'll start to resemble the generosity of your father. I mentioned several weeks ago, and I had another conversation. I was at Publix, and, and someone didn't have food, and, and, they, and, and someone was basically, the, hey, you, you don't have, they didn't have money for their food. They ran out of the money, or their card was declined, and, and someone said, hey, well, can, I, can I pay for you? And they're like, do you go to Greenhouse, is what they asked them. Do you go to Greenhouse? And they're like, yeah, like, this is what Greenhouse people do. Now, I was like, wait, was this, was this Jorge Munoz? Because Jorge was the one that told because this had happened with him. And they're like, no, it was some lady that did this. And I'm like, my goodness, like, I love the facts that in someone's mind they would say, oh, those Greenhouse people, they pay for people's groceries. I want us being like that. I mean, I want to be like that. I, I'll be honest. I don't do that all the time. And recently, I've been trying to. I'm like, okay, I want to do that. So I went to Publix the other day. I'm like, Lord, I'm just going to look and see if someone needs help. And, and no one did. I mean, I sat there for several minutes in the 10 items or less line. <laughs> and no one needed anything. I mean, it was... Several other people did, but no one in the 10 items or less line. They were good. And I was like, Lord, I gave you a chance and you didn't. Because I want to give a chance, you know. <laughs> the truth is, the more that you realize your father is generous, the more you start to want to resemble the family image. When people come to our house, sometimes our kids will invite their friends over. We're about to eat our food. We say, put your hands together. And we'll just start to say, oh, Lord, we thank you for chuletas. Oh, Lord, we thank you for arroz con habichuela. Oh, Lord, we thank you for all the food. Oh, Lord, we thank And it's kind of like the kids act embarrassing, embarrassed at times. But then their friends will come back over. And I've literally had some of their friends say, hey, you know, Mr. Michael, Pastor, Pats, I'm not sure what I should call you, you know, Tally's dad, uh, can you do your thing again? You know, the thing you guys do? Oh, you mean the clap thing? That, that, that's what the Pats people do. And what God's people do is everywhere they go, they're on the lookout to be generous because they have realized our Father is generous, so they want to resemble that our Father is generous. That's what they start to do the more you realize it's, it's who you are. When you are a hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> you are a blessing hammer. Everywhere you go, you are on the lookout for like, oh, that looks like a nail. Bam, because you know. Like even if you unloaded all your money, like let's say you got rid of all your, you know God would come through. Even if you gave a good assessment of someone, you're like, well, they might not get punished like they deserve. You already know that God is just. You know that he's the vengeance guy. He's the one that does vengeance. If they need to get punished, there's something good about someone that says, they're not being punished by me. They're gonna get generosity from me. God, you'll be the one that's gonna have to do that. There's something about realizing that this is a kingdom of abundance that if someone else gets credit, you don't have to worry because God God will not be mocked. 
A man reaps what he sows. And what does Paul say? He says, to you, remember this, whoever sows generously is going to reap generously. So I'm reading the the memoir right now of Beth Moore. Beth Moore has a a memoir about her, really her life story, her family. And actually, I'm not reading. I'm listening to it on Audible. And... And she said, it's read by the author, which is her. So she says, hey, I'm about to read this, and I forgive me in advance, I'm from Arkansas, and so I've got an Arkansas accent, and then I moved to Texas, and then I've got a Texas accent. So she's like, you're going to hear the twang, you're going to hear it. And there, there's something about, and there's a little bit of a charm to it, because Beth Moore is a, she's frankly a, a very brilliant writer, author, she's been prolific and, and very influential and whatnot. Uh, but there's this twang that almost is unassuming of sorts, you know. I'm not sure if you've ever watched a movie and you saw an actor that you're sure you knew what their voice was like, but then you heard an interview with them. And you're like, whoa, she's from Australia. Oh, my gosh. Because in all the movies, she's from America, you know. And you're like, how is she doing that? And what they'll tell you is, they're like, oh, it is so much effort to be able to put on an American accent for an entire movie. I was like, uh, you know, I'm a Tyler Perry fan of sorts, and uh, Tyler Perry's done a lot of movies. What I really enjoyed from Tyler Perry, though, was his plays. So before he started doing movies, he was in what was called the Chitlin Circuit in, in the Atlanta area, where he would do, go and do plays, and he would dress up as Medea and do these plays. Well, sometimes when he was playing Medea, he would forget that he was playing Medea. He would break character, and you didn't hear Medea's voice, you heard Tyler Perry's man's voice. He said, oh, I'm sorry. And then he'd go back to Medea's voice. Because it's really hard to put on something that's not you indefinitely. What Paul says is, the only way you're ever going to become generous on every occasion is when you realize that you've got a father in heaven who is generous. You've been born of noble birth and you are generous. That you are defined by a new divine nature that he has shared with you. His divine nature has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. What I'm letting you know is, maybe you were born stingy, You've been born again generous. Amen. You've been born again generous. Greenhouse, God has called us everywhere we go to go be generous. Having no fear of like, well, wait a minute. If I'm too generous, I'm going to be hung out to dry. You will never be hung out to dry because God will not be mocked. And I'm not just talking money, church. And I'm not setting you up for another offering here. I'm saying I want us to be the kind of people that when someone works with us, they'd say that is the most generous woman I've ever seen. The way she talks about people is generous. The way she interprets things is generous. Have you, I mean, cynicism is soul stinginess. I, even I, I'll talk to some of us. We're like, well, I'm just real cynical when I hear reports. That is just stinginess. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, love believes all things because love is generous, because our God is generous. You're like, well, I'm going to look like an idiot if I just believe everything someone says. Yeah, you're going to be like him because just like an idiot, I've gone to God so many times and said, God, I'm sorry, forgive me. I never want to do it again. And then I go do it again. And then I go do it again. And then I go do it again. And I've kind of come back to him thousands and thousands and millions of times. God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I'm like, I did know what I was doing. He's like, you've got no clue what you were doing. And he's been generous with me again and again and again and again. Does anybody relate to that? Is anyone glad that on the cross, Jesus was generous? I'm telling you, the key to generosity isn't guilt tripping you. It's grace tripping you and saying, look at Jesus. The more you realize the generosity of your king, the more you're going to resemble the generosity 
of your king. At Greenhouse, we, we are trying to live this. Uh, we do attempt to give, to, to have 50 cents on every dollar that we spend to go back out to missions in the poor. Now, by the way, the way that that happens is that's like we budget for about 30% of that. We raise the rest of that. So that's not just every dollar that's given. If you gave money to the youth group, it's going to go to the youth group. If you gave money to donate to someone's um, breakthrough scholarship, that's going to that. But in general, right off the top, from every, the, every dollar that's given, 30% right off the top is already going to be going in that direction. The other 20% we will raise when Missionary Sam comes, we raise things like that. But I was on a trip to Brazil with my friend Brian. And we had spent some time in the favelas, the slums of Brazil, and we were working with some of the poor, and, and we were watching the contrast between churches that would drop into the slums once a month and take pictures as they dropped off clothes and do a little photo op, and then we, we were staying in the slums with, with a guy, for example, that had three PhDs from the United States and was giving his very life for the poor in the streets of, of Rio. And we were on our way back on a plane and, you know, just sitting back there and I can't sleep sitting up on a plane. And, and Brian and I were just talking and both of us were like, you know what, I, I think there's just no way I could be part of the American church. You know, like the church he was at, I think they were taking up an offering for like um, getting heated toilet seats or something in the bathrooms at the church, you know. And, and just the way that churches spend money and the, and, and the foolishness of it, I mean, just we, we were really struggling with it. I mean, even for us, when we built this hub, just so you guys know, we, we postponed the beginning of our building project seven years from when they said we should do it because we said we, we would not be able to keep our standard of giving to missions and the poor up if we moved into this. So, so seven years later, so we would have, you know, all sorts of services in small places and we would have, anyway, so, so we were on our way back from, from the streets of Rio and both of us were like, you know what? I don't think I could ever be a part of the American. We're going to have to just leave America and go to some other place. We said, but if we were part of a church in America, what would it have to have? What would it have to, what would have to be on that list? And so I took out a napkin on a flight, on some Delta Airlines flight coming back from Rio de Janeiro to Miami, Florida. I took out a napkin and just started writing out what has really essentially become most of the vision of our church now. If we ever was part of a church, and we started naming these things, and on that list was, 50 cents, 50% of what, was, what would ever go out of that church, what, what that church is going to do, 50% would need to go to missions in the poor. In a world where the average person is giving 1% to 2%, the average Christian is giving 2 to 3%, the average church is giving 2 to 3%, in the most prosperous world that we've ever known, I'd want to be a part of a church that would give 50%. So just so you know, like I'm not freaking out if we only hit 42% one year. I'm not going to be super excited. Last year, I think we hit 52% is what happened this past year. So what I'm letting you know is where we want to be is as a church, we want to live like this because when we realize that our Father is generous, it, it has an overflow on that. So knowing that, we, we, part of how we, we were able to do some things, we had a radio station. We sold our radio station to WJLF 91.7. And they bought that, and so we sold them to that. We gave them a low-interest mortgage, if you want to say that, like a 10-year loan on this. I'm just letting, I'm telling you the story of Greenhouse, how we do money and think about generosity. One point, we were going through the scripture reading plan every year, and, and it talks about in the, in the Old Covenant, it said, hey, don't charge interest to your brothers. If someone's a brother, don't charge them interest. And man, that was convicting for us. We were like, oh man, wait a minute. We, we've got, we're, we're collecting interest we had collected like $70,000 of interest on this loan to WJLF. And so 
I was like, man, I, I went ahead, I got on the phone with JLF, and I was like, hey, can I talk to the, who's the, who's the highest up people or whatever, and I need to find out, is this, are you guys actually believers, or is this sort of like owned by Elon Musk, or is this owned by some greater corporation, because I got no problem collecting interest just from some organization, are, are these believers, and so I get to the top, and they're, oh man, we, and they're like, we love Jesus, oh, we, and, and I start talking, I mean, I'm almost weeping as I finish talking to them. The leadership was godly and humble and meek and, and seeks God, and I was like, oh man, you guys are believers. And I was like, man, listen, I, I don't, I, we cannot in good conscience take this interest from you, and you've already, you know, so there's going to be no more interest on your loan. From this point on, there's going to be, you know, as you pay it back, there'll be no interest. And we've collected 70 grand so we're going to go ahead and refund you that $70,000 of interest that we've given you. And the guy's like, there's a silence on there. He's like, um, can I get that in writing? I'm like, no, you got my word, you know. But in within a month, I think we, we write this big check. And there's been multiple times that our deacon board, which is our financial board in our church, has made decisions. I cannot tell you how many times we'd hit like April or May in a year and we're not meeting budget or finances are hard. And our deacon board would say, what we're going to do is we're going to step out when there's needs. I mean, right now, I can tell you, there are needs right this second over in Syria, for example. Right now, if one of you wrote me a million-dollar check to go help with victims in the Syrian earthquakes, we could spend that money. We would not take a dollar of it here. We would have every bit of it be on the ground within a matter of days in Syria. Like, so right now, but my point on all that is, as, as we're walking through this, our deacons have consistently said, you know what? When we hit snags, we're not going to get less generous. We're going to get more generous. And church, I, I'm not saying that to boast on our deacons or to brag on you guys or may only Jesus get any kind of honor or credit for something. What I want to let you know is this. There has not once been a time that when the year was over, we did not end up with an excess. There were times we'd be like in April and we're like, oh man, this, this thing's, we're done for. We're, this thing's not going to go well. They step out in faith to say, because our deacon board has been one of saying, we're not only going to give when we've got surplus, we're going to give when God leads us to give, and we want to be defined by the generosity of Jesus, because at the end of the day, Jesus didn't just give out of the overflow. He gave his very self. Amen. When you realize the generosity of your father, you start to resemble the generosity of your father. This is a call to just share your life. And where it ends is number three, your generosity leads to God's glory. Your generosity, and this is where he says, you will... Be enriched in every way. God loves to bless his people. So that you can be generous on every occasion. So that through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So I was at a missions event and I was in this room and there were several missions leaders. And so they were, and I was like the lowest, I was the lowest dude on the total pool, I promise you. I'm like the nobody from, you know, like a whatever church. And there was other big, bigger, much smarter, better, influential people than me. And I'm in this room, and, and they were having some talk, and, and this subject came up of, well, what do you guys do for missions in your church? And they're like, well, what, you know, how do you guys do your budget or whatever? And so we told them, like, well, you know, we, we budget, basically, we, we want to hit 50% of everything that we give by the end of the year. And he's like, what? Well, he was the leader of a group of churches of about 60 or 70 churches in New York. And he's like, Huh. And, he, and so he asked me some questions about this. How do you guys do this? I'm like, well, we don't always hit it, but that's what we try for. And we're, you know, we're tr we want to send a signal that, that we, we, we're trusting God and whatever. So he goes back. So I get a call back. And like the next year, he's like, hey, is that still happening? I'm like, yeah. He's like, because I've gone to the churches that we lead. And I got up and 
there's like this whole group of churches. Now, we've told them, there's a church in Florida that gives 50%. And the average church there was given like five. He said, I want you to know, none of them are now giving less than 10% to missions in the poor. Some of them are giving 25%. And some of them are saying, we can do even more than this. And they even knew. Like, we, and like they were even asking, what's your total budget? The, all of their, a lot of their total budgets, way bigger than the total budget of our church. And they're like, if that's what you guys can do with that budget, then the reason I'm letting you know that is, what Paul says is, you're, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And that through us, your generosity will result in people saying, thank you, God. We give God the glory. Look, and then it starts to spurn other people. Missionary Sam has thousands of churches in Southeast Asia. We know him most because he rescues slaves. What you don't know is most of his life is actually spent doing church planting. That's what most of his life is. When he came to our church and found out that Americans that, no offense, are considered the stingier part of the body of Christ worldwide. When he heard that Americans, there's churches that were giving 50%, he went back to his churches and told them, if Americans can give 50%, you guys can give 50%. So there are thousands of churches in Southeast Asia that when he was telling the story, he's like, you've never seen so many chickens and eggs and grains of corn come and get thrown in the offering plate in these places when they take up the offerings because they have said that we want to overflow and generosity to God. I was down in Cuba, and they're so poor when I was there. And I'm with this pastor who has suffered, and all these pastors that have they've been, I mean, all of them, they've gone to jail under a communist regime. They've just suffered and suffered and suffered. I mean, they, have, they bear in their bodies the marks of Jesus. And I was in this one man's house, and he, it, I was on the second floor. They had three floors because, like, the... Every generation lives together in some of these houses. There's like a grandfather and the, the, the father and the son. And, and the son was like the worship leader or whatever, and, and, and the father was there. And, and, and they brought us up, and, and they were going to give us chuletas, which is pork chops. And I don't usually eat a lot of pork. And, and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to eat pork, you know. And, uh, you know. and I'm with the missionaries. They're like, you need to eat the pork. And I'm like, I know, but is there some way I could? He's like, you need to eat the pork. And I'm like, I'm not sure. He's like, they have not had meat in over a month to save up to feed us meat. You're going to eat the meat. <laughs> and it was like the most delicious chuletas you've ever had. And the pastor's son went over on the piano. He was just playing this broken piano. They had an old piano in their second floor and and some of you have heard me tell the story, but I, I said, man, the worship here is just incredible. He says, oh, I know. I said, how did David learn to lead people in worship like this? He said, oh, mi amigo, my friend. As a boy, there's been many times we just don't, we just don't have things. We, just, we don't have what other people have. And so he would just sometimes go over to the piano, and he'd begin to play the piano. And sometimes he'd say, papi, papi, tengo hambre, tengo hambre. Daddy, I'm hungry. He said, oh, perdón, disculpame. Forgive me, son. No tenemos pan. We, we don't have any bread. He said, oh, pero papi, tengo hambre. I'm, my, stomach, me duele, me duele. my stomach hurts. He said, son, oh, I'm so sorry. Just, we, we are praying for our daily bread. We're praying that God would do it. And he said, está bien. He said, that's okay. He'd go back over on the piano and he'd begin to worship on the piano. He said, my friend, the worship that you hear him leading 
that came out of his suffering because we have learned that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces hope. And there's nothing like that to perfect praise and worship. He says, la alabanza está perfectada por sufrimiento. He says, so we've learned that everything is a gift from God, even his very presence, that when we haven't had bread, we've had him. And is he not the bread of life? And I remember going back into worship where I would see these people worship with all of their hearts and just sit there at their table where the, the chuletas are being put in front of me and thinking to myself, Jesus, I give thanks to you, all the glory to God. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, that people would get in line at Publix and give thanks to God. And they would eat chuletas with us. And they would give thanks to God. And they would hear the way that others gossip. And instead, we cover people. And, and when we give assessments of situations, we give a generous measure. And they would give thanks to God. And, and when they ask us, why would you do this? Our answer is, because I'm looking at Jesus. Because all we, like a sinful pastor, hide our ice cream in the cold and dark places of the refrigerators of our hearts, hoping that no one ever finds it. All of us hide. All of us have been stingy. All of us have opposed him. All of us have spit in his face. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. And yet he comes. He comes and he calls a guy like Judas, who is stabbing him in the back, he gets a guy like Judas who was robbing him on the side and he gives him grace and mercy and, and generosity and he comes to, to people like us and, and he just keeps on pouring. He gives me breath and he gives me life and he gives me a family and he gives us freedom and he gives 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 and at some point, church, this is my prayer. God, open our eyes that we could see how giving you are. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts. I dare you to even pray this. Open the eyes of my heart that I would see how generous you've been with me. Oh, some of you have so many gifts. Your personality is a gift from God. The discipline that you've endured is a gift from God. The, the riches, the car, the house, the legs that are working, the arms that are working, the eyes that are working, the ears that are working. It's a gift from God. Have you thanked him for your ears today, your feet today, your toes today, your fingers today? Have you, I'm not saying that for guilt. I'm saying it for glory. Glory to God. Eyes on God. He's good. It's a gift. Because he loves you. It's, he's not stingy. He's not trying to guilt trip anyone. He's trying to let you see. Do you not see? He longs for you to tap into his abundance. Mike, how do I apply this sermon today? I'll tell you how you do. It says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart. I want you to make a decision today. Each one should give as he's decided. Apparently, I'm, not, I'm watching a lot of people like, well, I'll give when the Lord leads me. No, he actually said, go make a decision. Make a decision. I have decided to follow Jesus. I think we need a lyric that says, I have decided to be generous. In the line of Publix, and with my freezer, I have decided to follow Jesus. He is so good. He is so good. Decide in your heart. 
Maybe you've never started tithing. It is my opinion that tithing is the, is the training wheels of generosity. That's like the, I don't believe we're under the law in the sense of when someone's like, man, Mike, we're not under the law. I totally agree. I, there's nothing, I would not do anything to say you are bound to only give God 10%. You're welcome to go way beyond that. <laughs> there, there's nothing in the New Testament that ever seems to hint that like, wow, we're, you're, you're bound to do what was in the law. I want us to be a generous people. But then it says, you are generous on every occasion. This week, you're going to have an occasion. At lunch, you're going to have an occasion. On the phone, you're going to have an occasion. In a text, you're going to have an occasion. In a meeting, you're going to have an occasion. When the occasion comes, I dare you to be the hammer that's looking for the nail to say, generosity, nailed it. I want you to be on the lookout. I want you to dare God to have to come through and rescue you from what looks at times like, oh, I remember when our deacons decided one time to be very generous and someone said, well, that's irresponsible. I want, you, I want us to live lives that dare God to come and save us from our own generosity because he's so good. I end it like this. I was listening to... Someone described it one of those children's plays at a church where they're doing Mary and Joseph and they're looking for the, the end and she's pregnant and she's about to give birth and oh no, and they knock on the door of the doorkeeper of the inn and they go to the innkeeper and they say, oh, would you please let us in? Would you please give us some place to stay? And all the little kid had to say was, there's no room in the inn. And she said, oh, please, is there something you can give us? Is there something you can do for us? Is there something? And all the kid needed to say was, there's no room in the inn. Well, the kid was a little mentally slow. And, and the little girl and Joseph, they asked like three times. And the little kid just sat there quiet, sat there quiet, oh, just sitting there like this. And then finally someone off stage says, just tell them we have no room in the inn. To which the kid turns and says, I know what I'm supposed to say. But she can have my room. She can have my bed. She can have my stuff. And that's what everybody did. Because they realized there was no room. And he made room. I don't deserve his goodness. I don't deserve his generosity. I don't deserve a place in his end. And if it were up to me and if you were judging me based on my performance, the answer would be, there is no room in that inn called heaven in his kingdom. The problem is, when the son came, he revealed the heart of the father who says there's always room. The most generous being in the universe is the one who goes up on a cross and gives his very life. And today he's made room for you. And I want us to have eyes for him and if you're not ready to start being generous, I'll be patient with you. I don't know what a single person in our church gives, so don't even worry. I don't know what you give. But when you leave this place today, I'm daring us. If you click off this podcast, this video, I dare you on every occasion to look for ways to be generous and watch God get the glory.